Welcome to the Calvary Lake Ozark Message Podcast. Wherever you are tuning in from today, we hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. If you'd like more information about Calvary Lake Ozark, visit calvarylakeozark.com. We are jumping into our text here in Colossians. Um, You know, sometimes you come across scripture and you're like, man, I can't wait until Sunday when I get to preach this and this is going to be so good. This is not one of those Sunday mornings here. But at the end of the day, you remember a couple weeks ago, I talked about the thermometer and the thermostat, where we hit the, you know, the evil one wants to hit the thermostat just every once in a while, just to raise the temperature of uh, getting us acclimated to the world's standards of different things and getting us away from how God has designed for our lives and even for our marriages. And so this morning, I'm only going to be in two verses, and we're going to be talking about marriage. And I, it, literally, I've had a couple of people come up to me and say, don't, don't hold back. Don't, don't pull any punches. Just fully give what does Scripture say what marriage is. And so this morning, you're probably not going to walk away warm, cozy feeling inside, um, but we want to understand what is the biblical definition of marriage. And you're probably thinking, well, what if I'm not married? Or if I'm a teenager, don't get married. Um, Especially that one right there, my daughter. When you're 40, you're allowed to. And so even, even in our singleness, why is it important to understand God's design for marriage? Because as we'll end the service, it's designed after the relationship of Christ and the church. And so the more that we can know about marriage, the more we know about God. The more we know about God, the more we can know about marriage. And so we are only going to be in two verses, Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 18. Don't throw anything at me, ladies. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, don't elbow your wife. Thank you. Verse 19, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. I was actually planning to try to go um, all the way through all these different relationships and how they look different inside the church than how they are in the world. And the Lord said, no, we're just going to stop here. And why is marriage so important? Well, I think, number one, it's designed by God. Number two, what's the easiest way for the enemy to attack the church is in marriages. And I firmly believe that that is one of the ways that the enemy is winning in the world is attacking the marriage. And not even in what we would biblically design and define as a marriage, but to add to it and to dilute it away from God's design. And we've subsidized single motherhood. If you look at the statistics of of Uh, Some of the things that even kids get into, and I'll be covering those next week, as it says, fathers and children and that relationship. But you look at some of those statistics that kids need a mom and a dad in the home. But for a kid to have a mom and a dad in a home, there needs to be a marriage first. Because the whole idea of staying together for the kids is not God's design for marriage. And so, like me, we we have kids, and there is times that we tell our kids, get away from us. You need mom and dad to be healthy in our relationship, that we need time together, and that is the healthiest thing for you guys. Because if our whole existence is just co-parenting, that is not God's design for marriage. And so, 
here Paul outlines two little verses. And you can see some of these words and think, all right, pastor, let's see what you're going to say, buddy, because I could throw a knife at you right now. And we're in the Ozark, so I know half of you are packing right now. (laughs) But he says, wives, submit to your husbands. And you see that word, and it has such a negative connotation in our world. And under the world's definition, I would say, yeah, I would be upset about it too. But when we understand that submit literally just means under God's arrangements. So wives, just put yourself under God's arrangement. Arrangement for what? Marriage. And it says this is fitting to the Lord. And and that word, as it is fitting, means we're completing a process that there is uh, a particular expectation or to do what is proper. There is a proper expectation. There's a proper process for a biblical design of marriage. And he's just saying, wives, just be under that. That's what submitting to your husband is. It's not so much, yes, it is about your husband, but it's about the Lord. Will I trust the Lord and his design for what my role is in this marriage? And so God has a very specific arrangement for it, for positive ways and for negative. Let's talk about a negative. So hold your place here in Colossians. Go to Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Paul says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. See, according to God's arrangements, sin came through one man even though we know the story in Genesis. It doesn't say that sin came through one couple. It doesn't say that sin came through one woman. And we're not pointing fingers because God already has. Sin came through one man. When you go back to the Genesis record of when the serpent started talking, he said to Eve, indeed, has God said? And then he started on with the rest of his lie. And for me, I think there was probably a pause Because Adam was passive and he didn't like conflict. He just had his hands in his pocket and thought, he's talking to you, woman. What what part of this do I need? And there was probably a pause. And I wonder if she was waiting for him to say something. And he never did. So then she started speaking. See that pause? And this is just my own interpretation. Yeah, that's where Adam failed. That's when sin came into the world is not through Eve. And we always talk about that. Oh, if Eve wouldn't have ate the apple. Well, one, it wasn't an apple, and Adam wasn't doing his part. And that's how God's arrangement of marriage, he saw how sin entered the world. He didn't blame the woman. Sin came through one man because he is looking, what is the arrangement of marriage? Because there's equality in marriage. If you walk out of here and you think that I have anything different than equality in marriage, You're not hearing me. There's absolute equality, and we will talk about that. The differences that we see in these two roles, it's about roles, not rights. The difference in marriage, it's about our role as husband and wife. It's not about the rights of a husband and the rights of a woman and and the or the the non-existent rights of a woman. That's what our world wants to think Christianity is. It's not. There's absolute equality. And you can see that. Go clear to Genesis chapter 2. So this isn't a theological thing that just Christians uh, made up to say, hey, there should be equality in the marriage. This is something that we see in design. And so Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 says, then 
the Lord God, Yahweh God, said, It is not good that man should be alone, and I will make him a helper fit for him. And now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought to the man to see what he would call him. So he created everything out of the dirt, out of the earth. And nothing was suitable for Adam. And so he had a different source when he went to create Eve. So kick down to verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept took one of the ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, and our English does not give the emotion that Adam has. Because Adam's alone. It's not just that the Lord said, hey, you're alone and there's nobody suitable. I fully believe Adam understood that. He, he knew his form and his shape, and he understood who he was. And every time he saw a lion and a giraffe or a bear, lions and tigers and bears, oh my, he knew nothing was suitable for me. And then when he sees woman for the first time, again, this does not give the emotion that he says, but this at last, finally, is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of me. So there's absolute equality in marriage. There was no helper fit for Adam because none of the others that were created were taken from him. See, the equality is even just in the source of Eve's creation. That Adam could never look at her and be like, oh yeah, I know where the Lord grabbed you from, the depths of the earth. No, Adam could never say that to his wife. Adam would look at his wife and you are bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. We are one flesh. That is the whole reasoning of the, the equality and the unity that we see, even in our differences, the unity that we have in marriage is because Eve came from Adam. And so when we don't align ourselves to God's arrangement, this is God's arrangement for wives and for husbands, that there's equality, but there is going to be a difference of roles. And this is a good thing. It's a good thing for Adam. It's a good thing for Eve. And it's a good thing in our faith. That even where we think, hey, we could have this figured out and there's a better way to do this. The Lord is saying, but will you trust me that my way is the best way for your relationship? Will you trust me in this? And if we, you know, if we don't align ourselves to God's arrangement, we're leaving the process Think back to the as it is fitting. We're completing a process. If we don't submit ourselves to God's arrangement, we're leaving this process incomplete. This isn't the fullness of what God has for us if we want to keep stepping outside of his design and his arrangement. Now, let's use that word. Let's see where else it is used in Scripture and see if it will help give us a little fullness. Put it in another context, like James 4, 7. Submit yourself to God. Same word, submit. Same word that is used here of wives submitting to your husbands. We are to put ourselves under God's arrangement. So think of salvation. God's arrangement for salvation. Here we are, us, dirty, rotten sinners, nothing that we can do to earn salvation. And then here's Jesus, perfect. 
God's arrangement is I'm going to take the sin of the world, I'm going to put it on my son, and I'm going to kill him and give him the punishment that you guys deserve. And then I'm going to take the righteousness of Christ and I'm going to put it on you because of your faith in Jesus. That is God's arrangement for salvation. And we submit ourselves to that. If we don't, and we try to buy our way into heaven, if we try to earn our way into heaven, if we try to do anything outside of God's arrangement, we're not submitting ourselves, and that process is incomplete, and we call you a heretic, and we'll burn you at the stake. But when we put it in the context of salvation, of course we have to submit to that. It's the same word that God is using. That the same passion that we have to submit ourselves to God's design for salvation, we, husbands and wives, need to submit ourselves to God's design for marriage. One more. Hebrews 13, 17 says, submit yourself to church leadership. That God has a design for us in the church, that there is us and then there's leaders over us. And we are to submit ourselves to leaders. If you don't know who the leaders of the church are, meet me after service. I would love to introduce you to them. Great guy, great hair, would love to talk with you. Nobody got the joke. Okay, we'll keep moving. (laughs) But you know what Paul says? If there's somebody that does not submit themselves to church leadership, cut them off. Be away with them. Again, we put it in context of anything else, No, this is the right way to do. But for some reason, especially not just in our culture, but how our culture is turning up the thermostat of what the biblical definition of marriage is, if we put it in the context of marriage, all of a sudden that's where it gets real shady and real kind of awkward. But we have to submit to God's design. We put, put ourselves under his arrangement for marriage. But if we don't submit to God's arrangement for marriage, we're applauded by the world. We're praised by the world. We're, they use words like feminist. We are uh, bashing, this is the thing I've heard before, we're bashing this archaic patriarchal book that oppresses and suppresses women. That's my word of God that gives me hope of salvation, gives me hope of eternal life. I, I do not believe that about this book. And there is some passages in scriptures that are talking about husband and wife. And there's a lot more that is written to the wife. Like I think it's in 1 Peter. There's six verses given to the wife and only one verse to the man. And all the men are like, amen. I mean, he needs a few more than just six verses. There's a reason for that. Anybody want to know why? Why Why were the early apostles writing more to women in the marriage context the biblical context of marriage, than he was to writing to men. Go to Galatians 3. Verse 28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek in the church because of the blood of Jesus. There's no more human distinctions between heritage. It doesn't matter your color or your race. There's no Jew nor Greek. There's no slave nor free. Your job your economical, economic position in the world does not matter anymore. It is not about all the money that you have, and it's not about what you don't have. There is equality in the church, and there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. For me, I fully believe this, that women are the most honored, respected, and valued in the church. 
in the landscape of human history, the women are the most honored, valued, and respected in the church because our world has always put women down. And I hate that. That has never been God's design because we know what Genesis says. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. There is equality there. But we have gotten it wrong so many times. And why there was so much more written to women in the biblical context of marriage in the New Testament than men is because because the blood of Jesus, the church is finally understanding there's equality here and there is freedoms for the wife. Now let's address what do we do with those freedoms. That it's actually showing God's heart for the woman in the context of marriage. In a sense, he's almost looking at the guys. You've done such a horrible job, men, that I gotta, I gotta fill this up where you guys have been lacking because it's always was supposed to be equality. And now, because of the blood of Jesus, we see that. Men, next, you're up. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. Let's start in reverse order, harsh. That word means bitter. Don't be bitter with your wife. And here's the thing. It's easy for us to be harsh and bitter, right? I have an older brother. We would fight like cats and dogs. I would try to choke him out, and then two minutes later, we're eating cereal, watching cartoons, like it's no big deal. Mom would walk in like, what's all the blood on the walls? He wanted to watch something else. Well, you're watching cartoons. I won. Right? Like, how many, like I could go to Andy and walk up and say, Andy, I don't like this. And da, da, da. I could be harsh with him. And he would say, and he'd push back. And we'd have a little argument. Two minutes later, we're eating wings. Like nothing happened. Can't do that with my wife. I walk up and be harsh with my wife. She's going to remember that for a long time. That's a whole other context. But men, it's easy for us to be harsh with each other. Like, I remember that in high school. Kids would get in fights, punching each other, trying to knock each other out. Two minutes later, they're sitting in the principal's office high-fiving each other. Oh, man, that was awesome. We're weird. Guys are weird. It's natural for us to be harsh. But what Scripture is saying, don't be harsh with your wife. Like, I have a friend, Josh Curtis. He's probably watching. Hello, he's in Wisconsin. For... For most of our friendship, 95% of our friendship, we just make fun of each other, right? I'm not going to say anything good about him. I'm going to make fun of him. And it's kind of funny, for a couple of years, his wife would only hear half the conversation because of his phone call, and she would tell him, quit being so harsh. You can't say that thing to Nick. He's a pastor. He's God's anointed. Amen, right? <laughs> and then she heard the other half of the conversation. She's like, you guys are the same way to each other. Absolutely. I'm not going to say anything nice to him but he's my best friend. We're harsh with each other. That's just what we do. There's even movies made about that. Clint Eastwood trying to show a young kid, you know, what does it mean to be a man and make fun of each other. That's, that's what we do. I have to tell some people, like, if I'm not teasing you, that means I don't like you. You're welcome. Yeah? And that's just what we do. But that is not the way that we are to handle our marriage. And that is not the way that we are to handle our wife. Again, we need to actively love our wives. That's what agape love is, not passively just standing around thinking, oh, I'm naturally going to just love my wife, or the day I get married, that's when I love my wife. No, no, no. This is something that we actively do, that we are actively doing what the Lord prefers. And so even that word submitting, that we're putting ourselves under God's arrangement, it's the same thing for us, men. To love our wives is we're actively doing. What does the Lord prefer out of me in my response and my relationship to my wife. 
It's not necessarily looking at our wives and saying, hey, what do you want from me? Lord, what do you want from me and how I treat my wife? Now, I bet she'll have a couple words to add into that, and that is good, and we will talk about that. But this agape love is always defined by God first. And so in 1 Timothy 5.8, it talks about how if you don't provide for your family, like you should even be called an unbeliever. Like you're about as bad as an unbeliever. Like that is the, and, and I think we have put in too much emphasis on what does it mean to be a husband and loving your wife is by providing, right? I put a roof over our heads, we put food on the table, we put clothes on our back and we try to boil down what it means to love our wives by just providing and we dilute that role. But understand the biblical call for us husbands. He didn't say provide for your wives, that is in there. But by and far, what does he say? Love your wife. Love your wife. And if this gets too real for you here in a minute, <clears throat> that's your problem. If we dilute our role to just provider and not lover, it is the same as looking to your wife and saying, you're not my helper, you're just the help. You clean, you cook, you're the help, you're not my helper. And there's a difference in that. And there's a difference between providing and loving. Because you can pay your rent and your mortgage by yourself. You can put food on the table by yourself. You can put clothes on your back by yourself. So if that's all the extent of loving your wife is, there's something else that you'll be doing by yourself. And that's sin, brother. And if you understand the joke, there you go. We need to see the need within our wives. We need to understand the command that God has on us to love our wives. And we need to be called lovers. That's what God's called us to do. And that sounds kind of awkward to think. Like, us, we're lovers? Yes. And I want to be the world's greatest lover. And remove the middle school boy mindset of that. We're called to love God. We're called to love our neighbor. We're called to love our wives. We're called to love our enemies. This is who we are. And a lot of times we boil down what we think the roles are to what we can do. Yes, it is easy for us to go to work and provide. But that is not the biblical call on us as men. But we are to love our wives. And so, yes, I want to be the world's greatest lover. And you should too. I want my wife to weep over my coffin. Who's the world's greatest lover? Because that is what God has called us to. And we cannot boil it down and we cannot dilute it in the role of the wife and in the role of the husband. And so love and submission, those are biblical words. Those are good words. Those are not bad words. And they're the very things that do not come naturally to us. Men, we're not going to naturally wake up and think, oh, this is easy. I can love my wife very easily. No, it's going to be very difficult to understand her. And wives, it's going to be very difficult to submit to you, your husbands and to understand that biblical definition of it. That's, gonna, that's not going to come naturally to us at all in any of the context. And they're the very things that God expects from us. He doesn't call us to do the things that come naturally. He calls us to do the things that don't come naturally to us. Because if you would just switch those words around, that's what comes naturally. Women are very in tune with love and connection and cherishing, and that's easy for them, Right? 
And that's why a lot of times when I'm doing marriage counseling and I have the wife tell me, well, he just, he never wants to talk about his feelings. He never wants to do this and that. And the, go to, it's like, yeah, he, he's going to, you need girlfriends. You're trying to make your husband into a girlfriend. You don't need, like what you're wanting out of your husband, you just need some girlfriends to share your feelings and to talk and stuff like that. Like he will make a horrible girlfriend. But he'll make a good husband. And in the same breath, you know, we got to look at husbands and, you know, oh, she always wants to talk and do all this thing. And I just, yeah, you just need some brothers to hang out with. You just need some bros. And she makes a horrible best friend. But she'll make a great wife. But the very things that God calls from us are not going to come naturally to us. But that's the very thing within each of us that fills the void. For your wife to want to feel loved, yeah, that's got to come from you. And it better, because there's a whole world that would love to fill that void with anything and everything else in the world. And your husbands need to feel respected. That's what that word submission comes out of. And if he's not, there's a whole world that will absolutely try to fill that void with any and everything else. And so when we look at God's arrangement for marriage, the, I mean, not just the physical unity of wife and husband, but the spiritual part, that the void I have in my life is filled by my wife and vice versa. And it's not going to come naturally to me. It's something that I have to work at. It's something I have to wake up every day and say, okay, how do I love the Lord? How do I love others? How do I love my wife well? And you might be sitting here thinking, oh, pastor, you just waited, wasted 30 minutes. I love my wife. You might be thinking, hey, I love my husband. I, I submit to him. I respect him. Ask your spouse. If you're afraid to even ask the question, there's a, there's a problem already. There's a, there's a red flag going off if you can't even ask the question. And if you're the spouse being asked, be honest. So if the wife is walking up to you, husband, and says, do you feel respected? Do you feel like I submit that I'm your helper? Be honest. And then husbands, walk up to your wives. Do I truly love you? In the biblical context of the word, do you feel loved by me? Be honest. Because that'll be a hard conversation to have, but it's a necessary conversation to have. It is a good conversation to have. Because a lot of times what we think, what we say, and what the other person hears are all three different things. I could be thinking, oh yeah, I love my wife. Like who's going to say no to that, right? I love my wife. And I might even say that. I love you. I love you. But does my wife feel loved? That's the definition. Not what I think love is and, and I'm showing her. Does my wife feel loved and cherished? And husbands, same way. So wives, you might think, yes, I, I, I respect my husband and I'm submitting to him. I, he's the leader of our household. And we might even say those things. But does he feel, no, I am the leader of this household. That we are under God's arrangement. And I feel respected and submitted to. Again, in the biblical definition, don't take the world's definitions of love and submission. Those will lead you down a path that you don't want to go. But always look back to Scripture and understand, what is he calling us? Those are hard conversations. Those are necessary conversations. And if you can't have that conversation, call the office. And I would love to sit down with you and mediate and walk through that. Why? Because the enemy absolutely wants to destroy your marriage. And if we can destroy your marriage there's one more thing else that we could destroy pretty easily, our faith. Because 
The marriage between a husband and wife is exampled after the marriage relationship of Christ and the church. And there's really a lot of depth there. And so even in Colossians, Colossians and Ephesians are kind of like twin letters, very similar context and concepts that Paul is talking about. Almost like if you read Ephesians, Colossians will go very easy and vice versa. So if you go to Ephesians chapter 5, he expands just a little bit on this idea of husbands and wives, and I just wanted to close in reading this. Because the struggle in our marriage isn't the other person. Oh, pastor, I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to be doing, but the problem is him problem is her. And there might be some truth to that. But before it's the other person, the biggest struggle in marriage is sin. Understand the struggle in marriage. It is sin. And so the struggles that we have in marriage, they're not each other. It's first with sin and how it interrupts and tries to destroy this relationship in our everyday normal life. And sometimes it's not even really big issues. It'll be small, very little petty things if he just chews his food louder one more time, I'm going to send him, you know, it's going to be in little things like that. But listen to what Paul says. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Not to somebody else's husband. Submit to your own husband. As to the Lord. So how do I define what it means to submit to my husband? How are we called to submit to the Lord? For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Why submit to him? Because he's the head of the relationship, just as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Verse 25, husbands. Why would a wife be so willing to do that? Because husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Did Christ sit in his lazy boy, ring a bell, and get everything brought to him? No. He was a servant leader that laid down his life and sacrificed himself for the church. So if you're like, oh, my wife doesn't submit to me. Yeah, that's because you don't love her. Or wife, if you're saying my husband doesn't love me because you won't submit to him. Understand each of the roles. And so it's not about what the other person is doing. What is my role in this marriage? But he gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. And in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh. Would we read in Genesis? If you hate your wife, that's self-harm. Because she is of your own flesh. You are one flesh. So no one's ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. And just as Christ does the church. And so husbands, what's my role? What am I supposed to do in loving My wife, how does Christ love the church? How does he provide and lead and guide? It always goes back to Jesus. And so we try to remove our faith from our relationship with our spouse. All we're left with is the world's definitions. 
because we are all members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And this, is, this mystery is profound. And yet I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. So think, just as the oneness that we have in a marriage, that we are one flesh, understand the biblical fullness that he's understanding. That is Christ in the church, and there's this unity of it. However, let each one of you love his wife, not somebody else's wife. Love your wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So that marriage relationship between husband and wife is exampled after the relationship of Christ in the church. And so if we ever struggle in understanding what our biblical role is within marriage, look to the Lord for that. And when we find ourselves outside of God's arrangements, because the example has been set, we don't reinterpret scripture. We don't reinterpret what marriage is. We reinterpret ourselves and put ourselves under God's arrangement for marriage. You might be thinking, well, I'm not even married, so what do I do? I love the Proverbs that says, when you find a wife, you have found a good thing. You don't make her a wife by a ring just because you gave her a ring. You don't make her a wife because you stand up here and bawl your eyes out and act like an idiot and you try to say some words and then you kiss. That doesn't make her a wife. She is a wife. See, our world, men look at women as objects. And our world has exploited that to the fullest. Depths of sin that I think is a massive mark against our humanity. And men look at women in that uh, objectivity that they're just an object. But when we look at the biblical understanding of who I am in Christ, and I look to my spouse, even before she was my spouse, I saw a wife in her. I didn't see an object to, to fulfill my lustful desires. You know, like sexy has a shelf life. Of course. I look in the mirror all the time and I tell my wife, it's not getting any better. And thank the Lord that she looked at me and said, that's a husband. It wasn't the ceremony that made me a husband. She said, she literally said this on our first date, that's not the kind of guy that you date. That's the kind of guy that you marry. And that's why she wouldn't go back out with me again. I had to make her fall in love with me another way. And when I saw her, I knew I wanted to spend the rest of my life with her because I saw a wife. I didn't see an object to fulfill whatever I wanted. And this is where the world wants to try to redefine, and they don't want us to submit to God's design in anything. Because if we can say no to God's design for marriage, we can say no to God's design for church leadership, we can say no to God's design for salvation. And so how should a wife act? How does the church submit to Christ? And so even for us guys, that is good to understand. Why? Because we're a part of the church. And the issue might be, you're not submitting yourself to Jesus. Why isn't my wife submitting herself to me? Well, one, that's the wrong question to ask, brother. But are you submitting yourself to the Lord? If you're not doing that first and foremost, why would you expect anybody else to live out that biblical role as well? And then husbands, how should we act? As, how does Jesus love the church? And so even as wives struggling with that, well, my husband doesn't love me. Well, how's your relationship with the Lord? All of these are so interconnected. 
that it's our faith. Like we say it all the time, like there's the husband and the wife and there's the Lord. And as each of us in our individual faith and walk with the Lord, as we are closer and closer with Jesus, we're bring, being brought closer and closer to one another. And that's what's hard because I know in a room this size, actually, in the next two services, there's going to be a few of us that deep down inside, we know that we are unequally yoked. And that is a burden that we carry, and it's a struggle. There's wives saying, but my husband won't lead biblically. Pray for him. Scripture talks about that. Pray for him. And there's some husbands who are like, yeah, but my wife doesn't want to, you know, lead in that biblical role of what does it mean to be a biblical wife. Pray for her. There's verses that talk about that. And that is a burden. That does make it more complex. But at the end of the day, what is our individual walk with Christ? And understanding Christ in the church and that biblical understanding helps us in those roles, even when there might be an unbelieving spouse or a prodigal spouse that is not walking with the Lord. But your presence in their life, God is using you. But they might not walk into this place and listen to this dude and read this book. But when you fulfill the biblical call that God has on you, it has nothing to do with if your spouse is fulfilling the role. Are you? So even if my wife does not want to fulfill her role, that does not negate the call on me to fulfill what it means, and vice versa. That if I walk away and I don't want to fulfill my role, she can't look at me and say, well, if you're not doing any work, I'm not doing any work. No because we're submitting ourselves to Christ. And I love the last few words here as we're closing. In Matthew 19, Jesus talks about marriage. The Pharisees are coming up and they're asking him about divorce. And he says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And what I, I wish, you know, again, if I could have my way, I wish Jesus would have said, hey, you remember when I created them male and female? Like, they're talking to the guy that did it all. Like, they're going to pull one over on Jesus. But have you not read that he who created the male and female and said, therefore, a, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the, shoe, the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God is joined together, let not man separate. We read that in the context of biblical marriage but when we understand that a biblical marriage is exampled off of the marriage of Christ in the church, does it not give us such hope of our own salvation? That how God has joined us together. Let no man separate. That regardless of our marital status, that we can look at a good biblical marriage and we can understand that's the assurance that where a husband and wife can be open and transparent and, and self-submitting and sacrificing and respecting, honoring and loving, that is how Christ views me. That there's nothing that I, I don't have to be ashamed of walking to, that there's nothing about me that ever could be exposed or uncovered that hasn't already been covered by the blood of Jesus. That there's nothing that my wife could open up and share or a, a mistake that she has made that she has to be scared of, hey, guess what I did? I'm sorry, I hit the car up against the dog. No, that's a good thing that you have done, woman. I don't like that dog. No. But there's nothing that we should be afraid and fearful of that we can boldly approach each other. Why? Because of the assurance that we have. And where does all of that come from? 
Christ. You know, we say a lot of times about school how, you know, they're, they're trying to take God out of the schools. Last time I checked, God's omniscient. He's everywhere. But I understand the context. And I think that same thing is happening in marriages. We're trying to remove God from our marriages and we're trying to allow the world to define it better. And even in normal heterosexual marriages, we're even trying to dilute what the roles are even there. I know they set an alarm for me so I wouldn't go over. It's a good thing. And I mean this with every fiber in me. Do I have it all figured out? Absolutely not. And if you don't believe me, ask my wife. But I'm smack dab in the middle of my own sanctification, which means I miss it as a husband quite frequently. Ask my kids, we ever fight? Ha! But I'm committed. I'm committed to the biblical definition of marriage for my own and for yours. And if there's anything that we can do here, all you have to do is call and ask. Do I have all the answers? Absolutely not. But I would love to walk with you guys through and in any mess whatsoever. And if there's something I don't know how to handle, which is probably going to be a lot, we'll find somebody that does. And that is the big reason that every year we will have our marriage night. We did it last year. It's already planned for this year. And so as you hear about that, I hope that you would be a part of it. Because as we have good, strong, biblical marriages, that will be the foundation in which we will see God move in our families and our lives around us. And so, wives... Submit to your husbands. Be that helper that God has designed you to be. Husbands, love your wives. Laying down your life, willing to sacrifice yourself for her needs. Ask each other, am I fulfilling those roles? Have the hard conversation. But always for reconciliation, for restoration, because this is the testimony of Christ in the world. Even our marriages declare the glory of God to a world around us that is lost, broken, hurting, that has no definition of marriage. And trust yourself to the Lord. Keep yourself under his arrangement and he will honor and bless that relationship. Father, we love you. We trust you and we just thank you, Lord. We love you because you first loved us and we trust you even when we don't understand, even when we feel like we have better answers, even in our own marriages. But I pray, Lord, even me and my wife, we would trust you for your arrangement of our marriage. And I pray that we as a church would trust you and your arrangement for marriage and use us, that we would be your hands and your feet in this world, that our biblical marriage, as we are surrendering and submitting and loving and respecting each other, a lost, broken world would see us and they would see you, Jesus that we'd be able to reach lost and hurting people, even in how we live out the commands and the call on us to be husbands and wives. Give us that kind of faith, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, as always, we have a prayer team that would love to pray with you and about anything other than that. Go love God, love others, impact the world. And we'll see you guys next week. Thank you.